morning, everyone. So good to see you again, church family. Uh, This morning in church, we're going to talk about the doctrine of the church. So, we've been going through this summer series on doctrine, and this is definitely one of my favorite, the doctrine of the church, or what's known as ecclesiology. There's so many fun words in doctrine, soteriology, ecclesiology. You can really impress your friends if you take these words home and just throw them casually into conversation at work or wherever. It would be pretty impressive. But obviously, the church plays a big part of our Christian lives as disciples, as followers of Jesus. And of course, that's a very deliberate thing. Pretty much all of the New Testament is provided to us in the context of the church, the church universal and the church local. All of our Christian lives are meant to be lived out in the church. But it's something that is sometimes that has either become so familiar to Christians or is so misunderstood by non-Christians that few people really grasp how important and different the church is. And so that's what we're going to be really skimming over today, as with all of our topics in this series on doctrine, uh, we could talk about the church uh, for as long as the Apostle Paul did, which was a few decades, um, but we only have 35 minutes. So let's kind of rediscover or maybe learn for the first time a few of the highlights of the doctrine of the church. What does Scripture say about the church, and why is it important to us? And as I usually do, I have Um, some extra material on the church. Many of you have J.I. Packer's Concise Theology because we've been getting that out to people over the last several months in our last couple series, and that's pages 99 to 203. And you could really go beyond that. The next three chapters after that are about church things as well. A prior sermon series I usually reflect on as well and give you. You can go all the way back to my very first sermon series here at this church nine years ago. And it will be very cringeworthy, but it is God's desire for the church. Okay, that's the first one. The first one of the series was September 8th, 2013, God's desire for the church. And then I think there was eight more sermons about what God wants for his church. So if you want to know more about the church, you could listen to all eight of those. Um, And then finally, a book on the church, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever, is a great book to read if you just want to know all the ways church is meant to function healthily in our lives. But I have four general headings today on ecclesiology, on the church, and it is what is the church, its purpose, and why it looks like it does, and then our proper stance towards it. So those are the four things we're going to consider as we unpack what the Bible has to say about the church. So first, let's just ask the question, what is the church? And actually, before I do that, I'm going to pray. Father God, we come now to your word, and we come to your word to us, revealed by your Holy Spirit. And so spiritual things are only discerned by spiritual people, and so I pray that the Holy Spirit would rest on each one of us, and that you would uh, open our eyes, open our hearts, maybe to things that we have heard or understood for the very first time. And I pray that they would just resonate with us and that we would be edified and encouraged by your word to us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So what is the church? Well, the first thing that as disciples we want to have correct in our minds uh, about the church is that it's something unique and distinct in the world. 
So as a, as a Jesus follower, you don't want to think of church as just a way to describe a formal gathering of Christians, although that's what the world might see and that's what they might think. Oh, a church is just a place where Christians get together. Same way that, you know, oh, there's a Boy Scout group and that's where Boy Scouts get together. Or, you know, I belong to Rotary and I get together with my Rotary friends in the Rotary Club. And that's what church is. It's just where people who believe a certain thing gather together. But that's not what the church is. When, when Jesus came to declare the good news of the new covenant, to declare the gospel of, of God calling people to himself again through his son, Jesus made a very interesting statement to his disciples. Um, he's having a conversation with them, and he, and he asks them, he says, who do you think I am? And after some wrong guesses, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, God revealed that to you. And then furthermore, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that's an interesting statement for Jesus to make right after asking the disciples who he is. He's going he's to build something. And we, we can unpack a lot of information from this very simple sentence that Jesus articulates to his disciples. Some of the things we can see here is that Jesus is going to build it. It's going it's to be Jesus' church. He's the builder. He's the owner. It's his church that he builds. So it's not just a rotary club. It's not just, you know, a, a car enthusiast club. This is an organization. This is an institution. This is a body. This is a thing that Jesus owns and he builds. And it's something new. We can pick up that as well. He says, I will build my church in the future. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm not continuing something from the Old Testament the Old Testament was one thing, and the people of God were one thing in the Old Testament, and now I'm going to build something new that you've never seen before. It hasn't been built yet. And the church is going to be a new kind of thing that Jesus builds. And it's going to be built on something solid, on this rock. And there can be a bit of debate about what the rock is that the church is built on, and I'm not going to belabor this argument for long. But rather, I would hope to convince you that the rock that the church is built on is the statement that Peter made. The immovable rock or foundation of the church is the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He is the Son of God. And all the gospel realities that the identity of Jesus carries with it. And Jesus uses a little play on words here with Peter's name, which is Petra, or rock, but the emphasis is on the statement that Jesus says God revealed to Peter. What statement did God reveal to Peter? That Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And all of the gospel identity and all of the gospel reality that goes into that. The other way we can see the meaning is that the rock, whatever it is, needs to be a firm foundation that the church is built on. Do we have any evidence in the gospels that Peter is a firm foundation to build anything on? No. So I do not support the idea that Peter is the rock that the church is built on because Peter, by his own admission, is not a stable foundation for the church. I think the clarity of the gospel and the rest of the New Testament is the rock that the church is built on is Jesus Christ himself and all of the gospel implications of the person and identity of Jesus Christ. And 
right in this statement, Jesus says the rock and the church are going to prevail against the power of death or Hades or hell or evil, whatever you want to say, and only the gospel in the person of Jesus has that power, not Peter. And we also see there that the church has an enemy. There's a lot in this one sentence that Jesus gives us about the church, isn't there? The church has an enemy. It's going to be fighting a battle against death and hell and Satan and evil, evil and, and, and however you want to unpack that. And if you are part of the church, you are going to be in a battle, Jesus says. But we see that as well. The church is going to prevail. The church continues until it's victorious, and that has been true for 2,000 years, and despite the skepticism and the best efforts of our opponents, it will be true for another 2,000 years if Jesus delays that long. The church will win. The church will prevail. Amen. So this is Jesus here. This is Jesus introducing the church to the disciples and to us. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to build something. It's something new. It's built on something solid. It has an enemy, but it's going to win. So what about this word church? When Jesus says church, he's using an existing Greek word, ekklesia. And uh, it means a group of people or citizens that are called out of a community. They're gathered basically to do community business or to discuss the affairs of the community. And perhaps stating the obvious, the church that Jesus is building is a gathering of specific citizens. It is the people of God, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven that make up the ecclesia. And and we see this reality of the church or ecclesia kind of echoed through the New Testament as Peter and Paul and John and James and others teach about the church and what they call the church. And they say this ecclesia is a whole bunch of things and they describe it a whole bunch of ways. So when we talk about what is the church, we see that it is the body of Christ. Ephesians 5.23 tells us Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Um, Sometimes it's called a bride or betrothed to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 11.2, it talks about Jesus being the bridegroom of the church. Uh, Sometimes the church is called living stones, 1 Peter 2.5. It's a temple built out of living stones because it's built out of people, the ecclesia. It's also called a a royal priesthood also, Peter says there in 1 Peter 2.5. And so it's a group of people who are royal. They belong to a king and to a kingdom, and they are a priesthood. Um, They uh, have connection or they have relationship with God. Sometimes the church is called a flock, like sheep in Acts 20, 28. Sometimes the church is called uh, children, the family of God, brothers and sisters in Galatians 4 and 1 John 3 and Mark 3. And, and, and on and on the church is described. This is what the church is. And so as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we have to understand that the church is something unique, it's new, Jesus built it, and it's called all of these things. All these descriptions of the church are meant to instill something in us in our understanding of what the church is. The church is the people called out to serve as citizens together under Jesus. And the New Testament at times refers to the global or the universal church, All true believers, everywhere, in every age, that's the whole universal church. And then at times, the Bible in the New Testament talks about the local church, or the global church, or the the geographical local church. And sometimes it even talks about both of those at the same time. So when we think about what is the church, we can think about the church as every believer everywhere, even if they never gathered. 
And when you think about the local church, and Paul introduces 1 Corinthians this way, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. That's the local one. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both our Lord and theirs. So Paul says there's a church that's here in Corinth and everybody gathered together. And then I'm also talking to the church with everybody all over the world. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we put all of that together and we can see what the church is. Jesus is building a new thing. It's founded on a firm foundation, the rock of the gospel in the person of Jesus. It's made up of and seen as gatherings of people who are called out locally and globally in every place who trust and proclaim that gospel and that identity in Jesus Christ. And we see it's going to continue without fail until it's victorious against its enemy. That's the church. If we just ask the question, what is the church, that's the answer you give in the elevator on the way to the 11th floor in the hotel. You might have to shorten it just a little bit unless you're going to the 44th floor. Um, But that's the church. And And we have to get that in our minds, that it's not just a gathering of people. It's not just a club. It's not just a helpful thing. It is something that God planned, Jesus built, will not fail. And then that leads us into its purpose, and its purposes are many. What is the purpose of the church? We can ask that question. Why, why did Jesus make this new thing? Why did, when he came along and began calling disciples out of the world, did he and God and the Holy Spirit have this idea that a church was something that they wanted to now last for eons? That they were going to build something that was going to continue, and it was a good thing for their purpose on earth. And there are many answers to that question, and they're all true, and they're all of profound importance. But perhaps this is a good summary. The church is the means of God's grace towards his own people and the world. God intends the church to be the venue in which, the method by which, the means by which his grace normally gets poured out to his believing children and to the whole world. It is the normal community or location for new spiritual birth, for being trained towards maturity, for practicing obedience, for using our spiritual gifts, for expressing the love of Christ, and as a means of saving the lost, and as a preservative against evil in the world. And within each of those broad statements, if we were to scan the New Testament, we would find literally scores of examples of each of them. But to keep this manageable, we'll just hit on a few highlights of those broad categories of what I mean by the church being the means of God's grace towards our people. And what I mean by that is it's in or through the church. It's in or through the church, people who know Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, that God anticipates that God anticipates we will encounter the gospel. This is the rock the church is built on. The gospel and his proclamation, 1 Peter 3.15. Having encountered the gospel that we would believe and be saved and thus ourselves joining the church body. And so the love and the work of God's people, the church, would be the local and personal means of our regeneration and justification. 
So you think about the church in action in the New Testament. You have Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2 and as one of the first acts of the church. And then you think of the missionary work of Paul and Barnabas going out, sent by their church to preach the gospel. And then you have the week-to-week witness of the church gathered in 1 Corinthians 14. As the church is gathered, people come into the church who don't know the love of God, don't know the person of Jesus, and they discover them in the week-by-week interaction of Christians together in the church. So first of all, the church being the means of God's grace, its purpose is normally people encounter the gospel through the church. They either come and sit in church or they encounter church members out in the wild and they encounter the gospel. Secondly, it's in the church that we learn from the Word of God. God expects us to receive the grace of His teaching through the church. Being taught by older brothers and sisters, as 1 Timothy 5 and Titus 2, 3 to 8 says, where older women are counseling younger women and older men are counseling younger men and teaching. In the reading and discussing of His Word in community and prayer, just as we are doing now, that God would expect that just his means of grace towards us that we would learn about and experience our new identity in Christ in the teaching we receive in the church, and that we would be putting off our old identities and putting on the new creation, and we would be setting aside our old idols in our life, and we would be putting Jesus on the throne in our life, that we would be turning from our old destructive ways, that we would be washed, we would be healed, we would be renewed. We would be restored in our image-bearing of God. In other words, the church is the normal means of our sanctification as we participate with God among his people in becoming what he made us. And you could look at Ephesians 5 or 1 Corinthians 14 or Colossians 3.16. 1 Corinthians 14.26 says this way, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. This is what Paul says. When you're gathered together in the church, then teach, reveal, interpret, build each other up in the church. This is the normal means of our sanctification. So we'll encounter the gospel normally through the church. We'll learn from the word of God and be taught normally in the church but it is also normally in or through the church that we will use our spiritual gifts and offices. You can look at 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 11 to gather more on that. But as our spiritual gifts and as our roles or offices within the church have been given to us by Jesus, specifically to the church, for the use of the church, it's in and through the church that we teach and serve and care and minister to each other and the word and the world as God has equipped and called us to do. So it's normally in the church, if you have a spiritual gift, if you have a calling, if you have a passion, if you have a place in the kingdom of God, a role to serve, it's in the church that God expects that to take place. Ephesians 4.11 talks about this more clearly. Talking about Jesus, as he ascended, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You see, there's roles, there's offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, teachers, all of these different roles within the church, and Jesus gave them to us for the building up. 
And so it's in the church that normally we would use our gifts and our offices. That's how God expects us to bless one another and receive his grace through each other's service. But it's also normally or through the church that the fruit of the Spirit and the love of Christ is shown. You think of Galatians 5.23 and the list of the fruit of the Spirit that disciples are meant to express, and they're meant to express it to each other. And it's by that Christ-like expression of love that Jesus is made known to the world. John 13.35, Jesus says to his disciples, they're going to know you're my disciples by your love for each other. Want to know how people are going to find out about me? You guys are going to love each other so much that because of the way you love each other, they're going to find out about me. And they'll know who you are by the way you love. And so it's in the church and through the church that the fruit of the Spirit and the love of Christ is known. Matthew 5.26, Jesus says it a little bit differently here. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus says, People are going to be watching you. They're going to know that you're my disciples by your love because you're going to love each other so well. But then as you are exercising your spiritual gifts and your offices, as you are working out your salvation... People are going to look at your good works in the church as you guys do this together, and they're not going to praise you. They're not going to glorify you. They're going to see your good works, and they're going to glorify God. That's pretty cool. That's how the church is supposed to work. So it's in the church that the fruit of the Spirit and the love of Christ is meant first and foremost to be shown and to shine out to the world. And so the church then is one new disciple at a time, saving the world. And the purpose of the church in the salvation of the world is not to be the means by which the world is preserved and ultimately saved as some sort of monolithic organization or government or social force, right? Sometimes people think it's the purpose of the church, you know, to, to save the world. It's the purpose of the church to be salt and light. It's the purpose of the church to preserve the world. And so therefore, the church needs to become this, this kind of monolithic cultural force that either, you know, bends the will of the culture to the will of the church, or even, you know, maybe a little nicer, you know, entices the world to the right way of thinking or the ethic of the church. But that's not how the church is meant to preserve the world. The, The church preserves the world and saves the world one person at a time as each individual disciple lives out their Christian life together and as we together let our life shine. That is how we do it. The church is not meant to impose itself upon the world. Rather, it's meant to be salt and light in the world. It's the saving manner of the church is working itself out one person at a time, calling people out of their personal darkness and sin and brokenness to join into the gathering of the people of God. That's how the church is salt and light. Let me summarize even more pointedly and personally about what the purpose of the church is for us as disciples. The purpose of the church is to be the context in which you live out every part of your Christian life. In the New Testament, as you go through it, there is no concept of a Christian who isn't recognized as part of a local body of believers. To be apart from the body of the church was tantamount to being the same thing as being apart from the faith. And you could look at 
you know, Matthew 18, 17, where Jesus is explaining how you work through forgiveness and how you deal with a brother or sister who has sinned against you. And, and the culmination of that process is if they won't listen to you and they won't listen to you and a couple of other Christians, then you take them to the church. And if that person won't even listen to the church, then Jesus says you set them aside and you send them out as if they're a Gentile. To not be part of the church in the New Testament was basically the same as not being part of the faith. Or you could look at 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul essentially says the same thing about a a, a believer in the church in Corinth who's in some shady uh, relationships. And uh, he says, look, if he won't change, put him out so that he will be saved in the future. But there is, I'm I'm just trying to get across the idea that if you're a Christian and you're thinking somehow you're going to live the Christian life apart from the gathered body of believers, there's nothing in the New Testament that says you can do that. You are a part of the church, you're part of the family, you're a brother or sister, then you're part of the church. The New Testament has no concept of a believer apart from a local church. And in fact, to be set apart from the local church is essentially to say that you're not a believer, And God intends, the other purpose for us very pointedly is that God intends the church to be the the means by which we receive his blessing. And this is is what I mean by this. Are, are, Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? And you're looking for the comfort of God and you're praying to God for comfort. He's provided it in the people of his church. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5 talks about how we comfort each other as we have received the comfort of Christ. Are you looking for wisdom? God has provided wisdom in his church. Colossians 1.28, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 2. Are you in need of grace and forgiveness and relief from your burden? It's in the church. It's all found in God's church. Galatians 6, 1-2 says, Restore a brother who is lost and bear one another's burdens. Are you struggling to confront and break the bondage of your sin? There is help in God's church. James 5, 19-20 says, Anyone who turns a brother from his sin has covered, has covered over a multitude of sins and saved his soul from death. The church is working when intended when... We are helping one another through our Christian walk. And quite often I run into Christians, just as there are those Christians who are kind of like, you know, I can be a Christian, but apart from the church, well, that doesn't work if we go back here. But we also have those Christians that I encounter that come into my office or I meet them and they're talking to me and they say, I'm looking for wisdom, I'm looking for comfort, I'm looking for encouragement, I'm looking for help with this sin, I'm looking for... It's like, well, have you been to church? No. Are you sitting there and teaching the Word of God? No. Are you talking to any Christian brothers and sisters? No. Okay. Well, God has all the... You know, I'm praying to God for all these things, but God's not giving them to me. And and I just imagine in my fertile imagination that God is up in heaven saying, church is right there. Just, if they're all right there in the church, don't say I haven't given them to you. God intends the church to be the means by which we receive his grace and his blessings that he's promised us. This is where you get them. I'll just give you one more illustration. It's kind of like somebody goes into a doctor's office and says, I'm really trying to get healthy. And the doctor says, well, are you eating right? No, I'm eating garbage. Are you going to the gym? I have a membership, but I never go. Uh, okay. Um, you know, are, are you going for a short walk every day? No, I sit on the couch and watch TV all day. Okay, I think I know why you're not healthy. You want health, but you don't do any of the things or take advantage of any of the things that are actually making you healthy. So, so maybe you're kind of a health person, and that analogy works for you. Church is at the gym. 
You will not get stronger, you will not get healthier, you will not get slimmer, you will not get fitter, unless you actually show up at the gym and do the reps. So do the reps at church. That's what it's for. That's why God made it. It is the means by which he is blessing you. It's the means by which you receive his mercy. Well, then we can talk about why does the church look like the way it does? We know what the church is. We know its purpose in our life. But why does it look the way that it does? Every generation that comes along seems to want to reinvent the church. Why does almost every church service and every set of church ministries look so similar, people will ask. You know, we need to reinvent church and make it look different for the new generation. But they all look the same. Maybe some churches preach longer or shorter messages. Some churches sing longer or louder with many instruments. Some churches sing quieter or even a cappella. Some churches have one person pray. Some people have many pray. Some serve communion every week. Some serve communion once a month. Some baptize by immersion. Others pour and sprinkle. But they all serve communion and they all baptize. Some churches have a big emphasis on families and others emphasize on older people. At some point during the church service, a collection is taken up in some form or another, either passing the plate or dropping it in a black box on either side of the sound booth at the back, FYI. Um, <laughs> but it's, or, or maybe it's an electronic transfer. You can also sign up for that through the office. But there's always a collection that's taken for the purpose of compassion and ministry to the poor and to take care of ministries and to support the global church and missions. Churches gather resources. Why do they do that? And there's always usually some form of smaller house groups for care and for teaching apart from the weekly gathering. And some churches have one lead pastor with staff and serving elders. And some churches just have a bunch of teaching elders who rotate through the uh, rotation of teaching. But they all have some sort of structured teaching. And they all share one truth, that Jesus is God's son. And the good news is that Jesus has died for the guilt of our sins and risen again for our justification before God. And all churches look like this in some form, and all churches preach this in some form. And so we ask the question, why does church look like that? It's what they all do with a little variation in when and how long. But inevitably, some allegedly brilliant marketing strategist or cultural observer comes along and says that the church needs to change. We've got to do church differently. Church doesn't work anymore with Gen Xers or Millennials or Boomers or Zoomers or whoever is the current flavor of the month. And again, I'm passionate about this topic, but I do have to ask the question, really? Do we really have to change it? Because the church has looked pretty much the same way it does now for 2,000 years. And it hasn't stopped working. It's worked for 2,000 years in all that time. And we can scan through the New Testament and see repeated time and time again God's people gathering together in large groups, a public forum on the temple steps sometimes in Acts 2.46, or even in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, Acts 19 says. We see someone teaching or exhorting in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. We see people singing lots of songs of praise in Ephesians 5, 19. We see prayer in Acts 2, 42. We see the expression of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. We see a collection being taken up for ministry needs and for mission needs in 1 Corinthians 16. We see service to the poor in Acts 6. We see that they share communion in 1 Corinthians 11. And we see further smaller house gatherings also in Acts 2, 46. And just keep doing this over and over again, and you will also be baptizing new believers eventually as you keep doing this. 
And so the churches meet, sing, teach, pray, serve, give, care, share communion, baptize, repeat. This is the church. And it works because God designed it to work. And it will work for so long, and it will work so well, that the gates of hell will fall before it. That's the church. And so when somebody tells me that the church has to change, I'm skeptical. Because it's never going to fail. It's never going to stop working. And that's a miracle that only God can pull off. Because when we think about what the church looks like, we can also step aside here and pause for a little bit and realize that despite all of this being true, we realize this is a miracle of God that only God does. Because when we look at the church, we also realize that it looks more than just a little messy. The Bible tells us that as much as the church is the bride of Christ and the body of Christ... The local appearance of the church is unperfected until it's glorified. Just as we are unperfected until we are glorified, the church will remain unperfected until it is glorified. The church still has sin in us. So when we look at the church and we ask what the church looks like in a slightly different context, the church can look flawed. The church can look imperfect. It can be awkward, and the church can make mistakes Jesus says himself that sometimes the church even has wolves in it that are dressed like sheep in Matthew 7.15. Jesus says the church has worthless weeds in it that look exactly like healthy wheat in Matthew 13.30. And so someone in the church will eventually wound you somehow. You will get hurt by the church. You may even get hurt by me in the church because the church is flawed and it is imperfect but it is miraculously and supernaturally the instrument by which God intends his grace and his mercy to come to you, sometimes even in the wounding. And here's a newsflash that may hit you hard. I can safely bet that you have already wounded someone in the church yourself. So don't be shocked when you get bruised. Because even if a church has no wolves, and even if a church has no weeds, It still has many sinners who are saved only by grace. It's full of disciples who are still learning how to walk out our new path. So do not be discouraged when the church stumbles. Trust that God did not make a mistake in putting the church together and that he will use all things, even the wounds of brothers and sisters, for his glory and for your good. That's what the church looks like. But now... The final question we need answered is what it should then, as disciples, our proper stance be towards it. If if we're followers of Jesus, if we're walking out our faith, and the church is everything that the New Testament says that the church is, then then what do we do about it? Well, it is our family. It is the body of Christ that we share with others. It is our rightful place of citizenship. It is where the grace of God is meant to meet us. It is where our gifts are meant to flourish, where we are being washed by the word, where we are being lifted in prayer, where we are being set free from sin, where we are being made new creations, where we are reclaiming our image-bearing of God. It is the bride of Christ. And so if you love Jesus, you better love his fiance. So our proper response to the church is to love the church. It's to lean into the church, to use the church for everything the church has to offer you. Be greedy about the church. Receive through the church every means of grace that God intends you to receive. Don't leave anything on the table. This is like, remember back before COVID and they had buffets? 
And you, you could go there and you could have everything from pizza to prime rib to chicken balls to fries to shrimp to crab legs. Like, you name it, it was there. We, that's, take it all. Take it all from the church. Receive through the church every means of grace that God intends you to receive. Why would you leave anything on the table? And so when I say that, this is what I mean. In conclusion... Don't miss a day. Don't skip an opportunity to serve. Don't ignore any lesson. Don't reject any help. Don't neglect any duty. Don't hide any weakness. Take every communion. Attend every baptism. Pray along with every prayer you hear. Comfort every hurt. Carry every burden. Listen to every testimony. Know every person. Share every gift and blessing that you have. And let the grace and love of God flow to every brother and sister that you have here. And out of every, and out to every seeking soul in the community, do it all. Take it all in the church. That's what God made it for. Let's pray. Father God, yeah, we thank you. Yeah, praise God. We just, we just praise you, God, because you've given it all to us. Yeah, you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Man, you are wiser than we know. And you said, I'm going to do it through the church. And it's going to be messy and it's going to be mysterious. But my blessing and my grace and my mercy is going to flow out to all my people and to the world through this thing, the church, that Jesus built on his identity and his gospel. And the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Oh, it's going to win. It's going to win. So, Father, make us courageous, make us bold, and help us to love your church and take advantage of every means of grace and blessing you intend for us through it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.